You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Great to have your company again. Up with the lark in central Kentucky today, shortly after 4 a.m., and we are approaching Full Stars Weekend, which begins today. And I'll be covering that Saturday and Sunday for NBC. A number of European stars, Master of the Seas, Jumbly, Living the Dream, taking on the locals. What else happening on the track around the world this weekend? Well, can Frankie Dottori make it 500 career winners at the headquarters of British Racing? He rides in spiral in the Group 1 Sun Chariot Stakes at Newmarket. And all eyes will be on Flemington. Uh, on Saturday in Australia because that is where the Hong Kong star Romantic Warrior bids to enhance his already huge reputation by beating the locals. It was the final day of the Tattersall's Book 1 October yearling sales yesterday. 950,000 guineas bought a son of Frankel, consigned by Luca and Sarah Kumani's Fittick stud. Sarah joins me for an in-depth look behind the headlines of the Tattersall sale a little bit later on. We'll also be catching up with Mimi Wadham, a consigner who had a, a quite notable result. French trainer Christopher Head drops in to talk about the Wertheimers joining his stable and also plans for Blue Rose Send next season and Big Rock's bid for the Queen Elizabeth II stakes at Ascot in a couple of weeks' time. Plus, Zach Purton, Hong Kong-based superstar, talks about picking up the ride on the Willie Mullins-trained Absurd in the Melbourne Cup and also gives some very interesting thoughts on the controversial 10-meeting ban handed out to a Hong Kong jockey Vincent Ho earlier in the week. Today marks the final day of Julian Richmond Watson's tenure as chair of the Thoroughbred Breeders Association. He gives his thoughts on COVID, Brexit and the future at the end of the programme. But first of all, to Ireland and the rumbling row over the impending ban on daytime gambling advertising is showing no signs of abating. Yesterday, the TD, the minister responsible for driving through this legislation, James Brown, was in no mood to budge as I welcome in RTE and Racing TV's Jane Mangan. Minister James Brown, the man who's Minister for State in the Department of Justice, was on Radio 1 yesterday morning Ireland's programme and he is quoted as saying that I do not accept that Irish racing will lose coverage. That's certainly the message that has been attempted to be put out there by some people in the industry. But the legislation is crafted in such a way that anything you can see regarding horse racing on live television, you will be able to see after this legislation passes. It's only the hard advertising in between races that's being banned. Now, to me, Nick, that's tone deaf. Well, never mind tone deaf, Jane. Clearly, everybody knows that you can still have a TV channel showing racing. The point about this is that if you have a blanket ban on gambling advertising in the daytime, and you can have your own views on that. Some people may think it's a good thing. What it means is that the channels themselves have to craft an entirely new channel from scratch and have a separate gallery and have a separate production without the advertising in it for Ireland. So that they're saying they're not prepared to do that. That's what he doesn't seem to be realising. Yes, and I would be a little bit like you, baffled if he doesn't realise it. And he's speaking to the general public in Ireland. That's the most listened to radio show in the morning. He went on to say that the contract that was entered into last May by HRI, long after the state government policy and long after the doll had set uh, out its intentions in relation to supporting this advertising ban, 
So he said, I'm kind of surprised that the contract was entered into in the face of government policy. But there is certainly no reason and no inhibition from showing horse racing as it is today, only hard advertising. So in that statement, he's taking a proper whack at HRI, which I think was a little bit uncalled for. Well, what what were they supposed to do? You know, the, the only the only players in town for for a new deal were the existing partner, uh, Racecourse Media Group or Racing TV slash SIS and Sky Sports Racing, and they are two companies based in in the UK, and both of whom would have to craft a completely different channel if gambling advertising was taken out. So whether or not that legislation was on the table, they were the only players in town. So presumably, Jane, the minister is saying, no, you shouldn't have done that deal. You should have sought uh, an entirely new uh, a bidder to 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 suddenly magically appear and with the wherewithal to produce a, a horse racing television station and it's up for debate in the next couple of weeks in doll Aaron. um so if he isn't listening to those who have obviously lobbied and 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 written and called and spoken to him within the industry and this is where he's standing a couple of weeks out from it being debated in the doll it has gone from being a major worry to being the only worry. Yeah, well, it's not all that trainer Dennis Hogan has to worry about. Tell me what's what's happened in the latest development in his case. Yes, yeah, so Dennis Hogan is currently serving a three-month ban, which began in September and is due to conclude at the, uh, at the beginning of December. Um, but of course, going back to March of 2020, we'll remember that Tony DeGent beat Yufton, both in the colours of the same owner, There was consternation at the time. It was investigated by HRI. We have a statement here reading that having considered the evidence, the race day stewards referred the matter to the HRB for investigation and it went to ground, Nick. But it's coming up for air after a comprehensive investigation that has concluded a referral hearing into the matter has been scheduled to take place on eleventh, uh, the eleventh and twelfth of November, and a detailed report will be will be released then. But what I find interesting, Nick, number one, it's taken a long time, but number two, I don't remember the IHRB releasing uh, information telling us the inve- in, an investigation has concluded yeah. and that it will be released in a couple of months' time. Is this a uh, case on point that this particular investigation has? has captured a lot of attention. Uh, it has been eagerly awaited. And they, they have been put under public pressure. Yeah, well, uh, on on a Twitter Spaces interview um, before the weekend between uh, Giroud Norris, who styles himself as Icy on uh, X, formerly Twitter, uh, and Ronan McNally, who you'll know well because he's been on this podcast and is currently serving a, a suspension in, in double-digit years. Um, McNally... Uh, brought this case up and said what's happening with this with this case and it seems a, an awful coincidence that having stirred the pot if you like the IHRB uh, are now coming out and uh, explaining their position and clarifying it because the inference to be drawn from the interview was that you know nothing was happening so clearly they want to make the point that something is happening and we should expect some sort of conclusion to it uh, sooner rather than later. The fact that this is nearly rolling on for the best part of four years, I'll be fascinated by the findings in November. 
All right, let's move on. Talk about the sales. Tattersall's book one concluded yesterday. Joined by Sarah Kumani, whose Fittock stud consigned many pricey lots, amongst them the 950,000 guinea son of Frankel that sold late yesterday. Uh, Sarah, how do you and your whole team have put so much into this week feel when you come to the end of it? And of course, you've got another one to come. I know it's quite a, it's quite a marathon. It's a bit like going to the dentist. You know, you you know it's going to hurt probably and be very tiring. Um, but and hope hope we come out at the end of it in in good shape. But um, no, this week was um, I love it up until the Monday of book one, and then you start getting into figures and horses and realities, and horses going through the ring and getting disappointments or getting highs. But the end of the week was great. Yeah, let's talk about the the Frankel cult out of materialistic. I've just been watching the little clips that Tats have been putting out on social media and, and your comment that he looked quite like his sire. Boy, he does, doesn't he? He's a big, strong boy. He is. I mean, we, we think he's in, incredibly like... And I know, you know, Judd Monta next door to us um, down in Newmarket and Simon Mockridge, you know, comes and looks at our stock sort of through the year and we kept on annoying him by saying, look, doesn't he look just like Frankel? You know, he's sort of, he's very, he's a very square horse. He's got a square back end, a square shoulder and a bit of a square head. But when it all comes together, I think he's going to be a pretty impressive looking horse. And he's wonderfully powerful, with great, a great back end on him. Um, so let's hope, let's hope he, get, he goes to being halfway as good as his dad. What was the other big highlight of the week for you? We sold a, a very nice um, Lope de Vega filly out of a mare called Time Saver, who's, who's the, the, same, the same family as Time Lock and Passage of Time. And she was, she was a very special filly, we thought. And we sold her very well. And she's going to America um, to Chad Brown and, and Peter Brandt. So we were very happy with that too. Couldn't have been happier. And Chad, who's already trained a uh, homebred of yours to win a Group One this year in in program trading, so it's a it's a good formula, well trodden. Uh, Mike Ryan, his agent, was buying off you as well during the course of the week. Uh, when you're when you're playing the game at your level, when you're trading at your level and using the stallion you're using, they, they need to be realising good prices. Sarah, um, what, what did you make of the week as a as a whole? It was it was a pretty scary week. I think we all got incredibly spoiled last year. You know, last year was was a bit of madness. And this year, it's um, it's gone back to normality, but a bit worse than normality. I think, I think a lot of people were struggling, and I think if if you're, you had to have a, a horse by the right sire that had to be absolutely perfect in every possible direction, and if that was the case, you got very well paid for it. But if if there was anything slightly amiss, um, you you didn't get your money. And when you're talking about these incredibly expensive nominations. You, you need to you need to you need to get it right, and if you don't, you're you're in trouble. And I think I think Luca going in going into yesterday was saying, you know, let's hope this horse makes what we hope and think he might make. Otherwise, we're going to be in a bit of trouble because you know we won't cover the nomination bill we had we've got coming this year. And roll on roll on to book two. Um, how are you feeling about about book two now, given what you've just told me? Um. I think we've got some very nice horses going into book two, um, but what what what, what, what the, the recurring um, chat is that you know not not a lot of trainers have got a lot of orders, uh. and um, you know however much they might wish to fill their yard with a whole lot of beautiful horses from book two, if if the orders aren't there, it's, yes. it's a bit tricky. Time will time will tell, but I think it's going to be quite sticky as well. 
There was one comment you made uh, to the TDN I was reading where you said, if you've got a, a genuine mile and a half horse, people are not interested. Is that something that hit you between the eyes more this year than before? Because it's something we've been talking about forever and ever. I know, I know. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. From from sort of Ascot onwards, everybody's talking about trying to win the arc and all the lovely autumn staying races and going to Australia and all this sort of thing. We had the most beautiful See the Stars wonderful stallion um okay he was bred to be to be a, a derby horse to be a mile and a half horse and we, we brought him home nobody nobody they said too big too much too dour too much for staying pedigree not interested and we know another good friend who had some other unbelievably well-bred staying horses they never got a bid mm. worry. if you want to see the stars sarah kimani fittick stud he's yours for a modest fee yeah. <laughs> Well, no. He's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So, yeah, we've got a lovely horse that we had to bring home. You might have to race him. Well, we're very happy to do that because, uh, yeah, you get very well paid. If you, if you, you know, if he wins a couple of races, back end two year old, early three year old, you know, the world's your oyster. Well, Um, so that's what's so crazy about it, isn't it? I hope I hope he does that and he goes on and wins the arc for you. Um, um, Sarah, thanks so much for chatting to me. In- that sort of horse. <laughs> okay, thanks, Nick, very much. Cheers. And um, have have fun in Kentucky. I'm not sure why you're not here, but anyway. Sarah Kumani there. Funnily enough, my family asking exactly the same thing. But I am in Kentucky. Jane Mangan's in Cork. She has been in Newmarket at Tats all week and has been keeping a beady eye on things. And clearly, some beautiful horses selling for a lot of money to some big players and. You know, enough to be really optimistic about Jane, but some some genuine anxiety there from, from Sarah. And that's clearly reflected in a number of vendors and some more deep-seated concerns about the future and fabric of the sport and indeed the demand for some of these horses and the, how that demand is going to be reflected as we move into the into the week's head. Should we pick up on her point about stayers, first of all, and the demand for stayers, or lack of it, uh, as she sees it? Um, particularly really in light of you know the news we broke yesterday about Westover being being retired and you, you wonder where he might find a future for himself as a stallion. It should be a good one, but the likelihood is trend will dictate it'll be a, a modest one. What do you think? Well, people are interested in uh, the mile and a half type horse if you can get a Franco or if you can get a Lope de Vega or if you can get the Dubawis or Kingmans. That's fine. That's book one in a yeah. nutshell. And, and you know what the, what what unites the four horses you just mentioned? What is the common factor between those four horses? Not one of them. Not one of them. One no, over another. No, no. And there you go. The fact that we're talking about those stallions as producers of horses who will excel at a mile and a half tells you all you need to know about the way we're trending. There you go. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. It's it's not until you get a, a good bit down the list that you see see the stars' top priced horse was six hundred and fifty thousand, and we all know him to be an absolutely brilliant sire. And what about more generally, Jane, sort of taking the commercial pulse of the week? Yeah, it, it, overall it was a little bit. It, it needed to be come back down to earth, though, Nick, because last year was Disneyland. It was it was not real. And I'm not saying that book one is ever real, but to a certain extent, it was a more competitive market this year. And uh, it was certainly not, I, I, I wouldn't even compare, I know I'm after listing the figures, but I wouldn't even compare to 2022 anymore because it just was, it was fiction. Um, just a little bit of news just coming in sales-wise. Gestut 
Amelands, huge German concern, uh, who in fact raced the aforementioned Lope de Vega, amongst other top-class horses like Boreal, uh, and of course Waldgeist, the arc winner. They are having a complete dispersal at Arcana in December. So that's another major breeding concern, uh, dispersing. Gestut Ameland is dispersing at Deauville in December. The Wertheimer Bloodstock Empire, however, is thriving and continues to do so with a winner on Arc Weekend at the highest level. And they have announced their intention to add Christopher Head to their roster of trainers. They had great success with Christopher's father, Freddie, who trained the great Goldakova and with his aunt, Cricket. And this is what Christopher, the latest sign of this great dynasty, had to say to me about the Wertheimers coming into his yard a little earlier today. The Wertheimers are sending horses to the stable and I'm delighted that they do so. It's been a, a relationship that been, uh, we've been bounded family to family for a long time ago. So, yes, I'm. for me, it's really a... The, the biggest success is to to have the chance to train for them because of course your father freddie had had horses for the verhamers for many years of course including the, the wonderful goldacoba the 14-time group and grade one winner and your aunt cricket trained for them for, for many years as well do you know the extent of the involvement yet do you know how many horses are coming what what which horses are coming uh, we are talking about four to five. It's not. It's uh, it's a beginning, so it's just a start, and uh, and of course they are going to wait for the result uh, as any owner because they are uh, very serious people and they want to get involved in something that actually is serious too. So I'm I'm very delighted that they get me the opportunity to do so. But of course, uh, everything's need to be done. Um, we know it's a results-based business, but this has been an extremely good year for you. Uh, you announced yesterday that Blue Rose Sen would stay in training next year, but she's done for, for 2023, is that right? Exactly. The owner asked me to send her to the to the, to the yard and, uh, and have a, a small break into the paddock, but it's going to be like one month and a half, and then she will come back to, to the stable to prepare the next season. And what do you think next year is going to look like for her? What do you what do you fancy having a go at? Oh, that's for sure that we have a nice uh, a nice pattern in France with the corrida as uh, one of the the main one for the beginning of the season. And then we will need to talk with the owner, of course, because there might be a, a bit of trouble. I think now and then uh, during the season with uh, nice races in England. So we. I, w I will stay in touch with you as soon as we have something that is confirmed. Excellent. Well, we look forward to seeing plenty more of her. Uh, Big Rock is coming to England for the Queen Elizabeth II stakes at Ascot. How's he training? He's doing fine. I mean, he's been a brilliant horse all the season and he's keeping this way. He's a, a really hard one. And, uh, and like Bruro saying, of course, I'm expecting the best for the, for the end of the season with him. And do you have any news on, on Ramatuel, Christopher, your, your brilliant two-year-old filly? Yeah, Ramacho have been sent to to the yard too and to the paddock, and we're just gonna wait a little bit to to get her back in, at the stable to prepare the next season for it with her. She's okay. been brilliant at the season, and uh, she's worth a three-year-old for sure. Christopher Head there with news of his stable stars, and delighted that the Wertheimers will be joining his stable. And why wouldn't he be? He looks to go from strength to strength. It isn't only Blue Rose Sen that is staying in training. Nashua is also remaining in training, according to her owner, 
Imad Al-Sigar. Of course, his famous green colours used to be Imad Al-Sigar and Sally Al-Hamazi. And Sally Al-Hamazi was the guy that spent all the money at Tats last year and couldn't honour those commitments and the horses had to be resold. Some with a great success, it has to be said. Um, I bring this up because the man who was signing the ticket for Sally Al-Hamazi, Richard Knight, has found himself uh, with an interesting new client that raised an eyebrow or two, uh, Jane. A lot of people on Twitter would have been Mm. interested to see who Richard Knight was buying for this week um, on behalf of uh, Al-Salia Stud. So Al-Salia Stud is a Saudi Arabian-based stud, uh, which is owned by Mohammed Saleh bin Laden. Al-Salia Stud had previously, or are previously, uh, most known with Arabian racing, but they spent 2.5 million at book one. They were also active in Arcana back in August, and... um, that was a name that was capturing a lot of attention online over the last 24 hours. Yeah, as you can imagine, there was quite a bit of chatter about this. Much of it just about on the taste boundary. Um, it's it's probably worth noting uh, that uh, Osama bin Laden, who I think is a nephew of Mohammed bin Laden, was one of about 55 reported children of his own father and was already um, exiled from his own family so that's probably just a a point worth noting there back to the sales ring now uh, and to charlotte who's been there all week so book one is over now and i'm joined by mimi wadden and violet hesketh of wh bloodstock and they've had six going through the ring this week just reflecting on them all as a whole how do you think you've got on um yeah we're really happy with our sale although um, the market was tricky at times. We were very fortunate that we had six very strong individuals and they all sort of met or exceeded expectations. So we're really, really pleased. And the standout was, of course, yesterday, the Kitten's Joy who went through the ring. He was the only Kitten's Joy in the sale. And he just got here and filled you with confidence. Um, yep, he, we bought him off Ringfit Stud back in November and funny enough we were stabled, he's nearly stabled in his same box so he recognised where he was but every show he did he put his head down, ears pricked and just and showed like an absolute champion um, we're absolutely delighted with the price and wish Hong Kong Jockey Club the best of luck with him And how important do you think it is to, for a yearling to have gone through the sales as a foal? Does it make a big difference when they come back here? I think it can certainly help, um, you know, when they know what's expected of them and unshowing. But equally, I think the homebreds, you know, with enough schooling can, can do the job just as well. And next week, book two, how many have you got? Yeah, we're really looking forward to offering 17 in book two. A really strong draft overall. Um, I'm really looking forward to people coming down to see them. We've got a particularly nice Hello Yumzane filly that was bred by a client who's out of a stakes-winning mare. Um, she's got a lot of size and scope and just a fantastic mover. Also a lovely Blue Point filly um, that we pinhooked um, with some friends. And she's an April foal and has just really flourished during the prep, so looking forward to offering her. Really looking forward to offering um, a without parole filly we have. Um, she's very strong, good moving, and I think she should tick a lot, a lot of boxes. Well, best of luck. Thank you so much for talking to me and look forward to following them next week. Violet Hesketh and Mimi Wadham there chatting about their six strong draft that succeeded at Tattersall's Book One this week and looking ahead to Book Two next week, having a chat with Charlotte. Right, Zach Purton has been a man in the news this week because he has picked up the plum ride on Willie Mullins' absurd in the Melbourne Cup. Uh, He is also a man who knows Romantic Warrior extremely well, 
having ridden him last time and ridden against him on countless occasions. So he's perfectly placed to give a view on Romantic Warriors' chances in the Turnbull at Flemington. Plus, he's locked in a battle with Hugh Bowman in these early stages of the Hong Kong Jockeys Championship. I wonder whether that'll be a bit like Perton Marrera Mark II. And, of course, he was in the race that has caused worldwide consternation the other day at Happy Valley because Vincent Ho, who dead-heated on his mount, has been given a 10-day, a a effectively a 10-match suspension, if you like, from the, the Hong Kong Jockey Club for what they believe to be prematurely easing up on the horse and not getting a victory outright. And I think everyone was pretty uh, shocked and amazed by that. But I started off by asking Zach... Uh, about his mount in the cup? I think he's a pretty good ride. Um, you know, he can certainly stay. He's trained by a genius. He gets in with a nice weight. Um, he's been set for the race. So I think he's got a lot of things going uh, going his way. Um, he looks like he's travelled down there nicely. I'm looking forward to riding him. Yeah, it's hard for me to line them all up. Yeah, there's so many horses still heading towards the race at the moment, so it's a bit early to get a feel for what the field is going to look like but uh what i do know that is willie um plans a long way ahead with his horses he tries to beat the handicapper um in races if he can and i think he's done that in a way with his horse so i think i think he's in nicely um and obviously it'll just come down to the conditions on the day like in running all those things that we always talk about but uh you know i'm sure he's going to be prepared well and and that's a big thing He's he's quite a quirky horse. I don't know if you saw him going down to the start with Frankie before the evil. Frankie had to had to jog down most of the way with him, which I don't think he was too thrilled about. But you don't mind a challenge, do you? No, I don't. But I'd prefer <laughs> him to go down nicely. Uh, I did see his run at Royal Ascot as well, where he was back in the field in that slowly run race where uh, Vorban led. And he pulled his head off. He was quite aggressive. He wanted to get up on the bit. And Frankie had a really difficult time trying to control him. I was impressed that he was still able to finish the race off, having raced like that uh, throughout the majority of the race. And then, obviously, you mentioned at Ebor, <laughs> Frankie had a <laughs> bit of trouble getting him to the start. So that's not going to be ideal at Flemington in front of 100 or 120,000 people where you've got to go from the parade ring all the way down in front of basically the whole crowd and the grandstand and all the marquees to get down to the start. So that uh, is going to be a bit of a testing time for me but hopefully he's on his best behavior and we can get him down there and and uh, conserve his energy as much as we can so that he's got something for the race and for you to be a meaningful participant in this race i know listen i know with you it's all about winning but just to, to be there now putting a marker down a horse with a serious chance how, how good does that does that make you feel given how much of your trade you ply uh, in hong kong yeah, it, uh, it does feel good. Um, I'm I, not one that enjoys competing in races just for the sake of it, though. Uh, I only want to compete in races if I think I can win them, um, and I only want to win them. I'm not interested in just ticking a box saying I've ridden in a Breeders' Cup or an ARC or an English Derby or, or something like that. That doesn't interest me at all. So I'm there to try and win it. I want to win it. I think this is uh, a, a good chance. Uh, I'm happy to be on him, and I'm looking forward to the race. I mentioned earlier on there's um, Hong Kong interest in Australia this weekend in the Turnbull with Romantic Warrior Horse. You rode last time out and you, you'll have seen a million times riding against him as well. Uh, looking at that Turnbull, he ought to just go and win that, oughtn't he? 
Well, if you look at the ratings of the horses, yes, you, you know, you, you can draw that line. But um, what uh, that the rating doesn't tell us is that he's first up and he hasn't raced since the end of May. Um, he's only had one soft barrier trial. He's got to race over 2,000 metres first up and he's going left-handed for the first time in his career. He's never gone left-handed before. So that in itself probably asks a little bit of a question. Uh, he's never raced at Flemington before. He's had to go to a foreign country and be prepared on a track that um, he's not used to being prepared on. So there are some question marks, but if he turns up um, at his best, he should be able to take care of those horses. Now, I, I don't know if you've seen the consternation, the global consternation at the at the band that Vincent Ho picked up for his, his ride at Happy Valley at, on, on Wednesday, have you? Uh, yeah, I've, uh, I have seen it, of course. Um, you know, at the time, if, if you just watched the race, you wouldn't have picked up on it. But Vincent come back into the jockey's room immediately and said, oh, I think I sat up on that horse just before the line. So he immediately knew that he possibly could have. Uh, and you don't see it when you watch it live, but when you watch the shutter cam, you can see that he has uh, sat up, you know, half a stride, one stride before the line. Uh, now, whether that's cost the horse any momentum, it's debatable whether he would have clearly won the race in his own right instead of dead-eating for the win, probably debatable as well. But at the end of the day, uh, perception is everything, especially in the steward's eyes, and if you leave yourself open, then uh, I suppose you have left the door open and that's probably what he did. Uh, now, he's not appealing against the charge itself. Uh, he's just appealing against the severity. They gave him 10 meetings for that um, and they've got their reasons. They've, they've got the um, the standards, the, the uh, protocols that uh, they have to deal with and, and they felt like 10 meetings fitted within... <laughs> The boundaries that are available to them and that's why i got that penalty but anyway he's going to appeal it so we'll see what happens there they don't mess about your beaks do they no they don't um yeah you, you gotta understand here that there there's a lot of money on our tote being bet on these horses there's a lot of prize money that we're competing for uh and they're trying to protect the punter and trying to protect the owner and i we all understand that but uh, on the other side of that, the penalties that we receive are incredibly harsh. You know, when they last season, I, you know, they're finding Alexi Bedell 180, 200 grand, I think it was. Uh, I think he ended up paying 600 or 700 grand in fines for the season. Well, that's, that's a lot of money, as well as the suspensions you get when you're sitting on the sideline and you're not riding, so you're not earning as well. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a tough pill, pill to swallow at times, but... It is what it is. They're the rules. You got to play by the rules, and you got to accept the umpire's decision. Um, how are you enjoying the, the now the the Purton Bowman rivalry that's replaced the Purton Marrera rivalry? Yeah, it's it's going to be a different rivalry. I, I don't feel the same pressure up against Huey that you know I had with Marrera. He come in like a whirlwind and and basically just took over Hong Kong right from the start. He could ride light. He was getting plenty of opportunities. You know, we went toe-to-toe, head-to-head for so many seasons that that rivalry built up. I wouldn't say built up. It, it was there right from the start, uh, actually, but it got uh, more and more attention as the seasons went on and become harder and harder and, you know, at the end, physically and mentally, we were both throwing everything at it and it wore both of us down, but the rivalry with Huey is a little bit of a different one because, 
you know, he's been a friend of mine for a long period of time. We were both apprentices coming up at the same time together. Um, I was only in Sydney for two years before coming to Hong Kong, so I competed with him there and, you know, we're, we're on friend, friendlier terms, but he's at a bit of a disadvantage because he can't ride um, the weight that I ride and once I get going, uh, I think there'll be a bit of a gap between us, so... It's, uh, it's the start of the season, of course. It looks a little bit tight at the moment, but it's not going to stay that long for long, I don't think. Zach Purton there, always a man worth listening to, always a man with a view and covering all sorts of international bases on an international weekend. And as I said, I'm here in, in Keeneland this weekend on, on NBC duty Saturday and Sunday. It's really that kind of last staging post before the, before the Breeders' Cup, a whole glut of, of grade one races. And, and I know a lot of you'll be interested to know some of the European entries, living the dreams, taking the most the most headlines. It'll be fascinating to see whether he can replicate that speed he showed in the Nunthorpe on a, on a US track. It will indeed. Um, I won't lie, having been around the sales ground, I'm only finding uh, my feet with Keeneland's card now, and I won't pretend to know what bad beat Brian is, but he's currently in, is he second or third in the market, Nick? Well, Bad Beat Brian's drawn to his inside, and I think that that is what could compromise him because Bad Beat Brian's quite a quick horse. And do ran Caravel to a narrow margin earlier in the year at this track. So um, if he can if he can get clear of Bad Beat Brian, then it's interesting. If he can't, he's going to have to take his medicine and, and take a lead, which uh, which will be interesting to see how he how he copes with that. But he, he, I gather he's training very well. Is it possible in a five furlong race uh, in America? We we know we've taken a lot of medicine in that division over the years. Will it be over at the start? Will, well, will, will we know our fate as soon as we get into a stride? I think that's a bit one-dimensional. It's five and a half furlongs as well. I mean, remember at Keeneland when glass slippers came from off the pace in the Breeders' Cup turf sprint and all the way around the inside. So, you know, closers can win those races. It's not impossible if there's a complete burn-up. And as I said, it is five and a half and and not five. Uh, Jumbly for Joseph O'Brien takes on the Chad Brown big guns in the First Lady, and uh, Master of the Seas runs in the Coolmore Turf Mile uh, for Charlie Appleby and faces a as good a field of turf milers as you're going to get in the US, so it'll be a pretty good indication as to as to where the Europeans stand with them. Todd Pletcher's pair, last year's winner in Annapolis and up to the mark, probably the two that you would fear the most. And it, all things being equal, Jane, in spiral should win the Sun Chariot Stakes. At Newmarket, shouldn't she? Though we are talking about a filly who's been beaten at very short odds before. It depends on which Inspiral turns up. She beat Big Brockwell at Deauville last time, but is it Misk de Sevigny? Marquise de Sevigny. Marquise de Sevigny. I was in Deauville when she beat Via Sestina, and she is a very impressive-looking filly. And I would, I would nearly go as to say that we've probably been underestimating her. So it's it's great that Andre is bringing her over, and it'll give Inspiral a proper test because. You know, to date, Meditate's form this year isn't on par with what she showed as a juvenile and coppice while she was good last time. She, this is a completely different kettle of fish. A random harvest has been busy in her run last time at Goodwood isn't up to when she beat Roman Mist at Ascot. So, yes, it's probably fair to say that it looks like a, a, a two-pronged uh, a, a set match. There's only a pound between them in official ratings. But uh, Andre coming to Newmarket, when he comes, he often doesn't miss the target. Andre Farbs, Marquise de Sevigny, the key challenger then to Inspiral in the Virgin Bet Sun Chariot Stakes takes place at 3.15 local time in the UK tomorrow, Saturday. 
All right, finally today, uh, Julian Richmond Watson has his last day as the chairman of the Thoroughbred Breeders Association after 12 years involved as a trustee and eight years in the chair. And I'm very pleased to say that he, he joins me now. Uh, Julian, you've been involved in, in high-level administration of horse racing for a long, long time in a lot of different roles. How satisfying or otherwise have you found this one? I think it's been one of the best, really, in a way, because we've been able to to bring things together. There was quite a challenge in putting the team together originally, but then we've we've got a team that's really been uh, on the ball, and it's it's enabled us to meet some some big external challenges. You know, in, in Brexit and COVID, which uh, which weren't really on the horizon when we set out and started this, um, as well as all the internal issues as well. What do you think have been your key, or the TBA under your uh, chairmanship, what do you think have been the key achievements as regards um, solving the problems posed by Brexit? Uh, Brexit was always going to be a big issue. We, we, we got in, in touch with the government and the DEFRA officials, the Department of Environment um, uh, officials, and, and built up a very good relationship with them. And managed to remove most of the barriers that were in the way. The, at the moment, horses coming in and breeding horses coming into the into Great Britain are, are coming in without any any checks. There are still side issues that there may be border controls at the end of 2024, but we're working on those, and hopefully we've kept a, a smooth passage for people bringing horses into this country. We we also managed to um, get the VAT issue removed, so the VAT on horses coming in for breeding, um, they do not have to pay VAT up front which was uh, causing a considerable problem and caused a big problem for us and our horses going to Ireland, who have promised to get this removed but have failed, and, and, and France, who probably aren't that interested. But I think Brexit you know, has, has had an issue, but it, we've managed to, to, uh, to smooth the passage pretty well, I think. Uh, and you've been involved in a, in a, a tripartite bid to um, enable greater access of staff I- into the country as well, which was, which was undermined and threatened by, by Brexit and the restrictions on, on movement of people. It looks as though you've made quite a bit of progress with this just, just in the last few days. Yes, the Migration Advisory Service came up with a proposal that uh, all the three main, main issues that we brought up, which was... Uh, stud handlers, stud grooms and, st- and stallion handlers could all be put on, on the open list. That It just has to be checked off by the Home Office, so we can't uh, actually relax quite yet. But it's, it's a really good example, along with the trainers, to, to getting uh, 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 staff for the training yards, of how, uh, how working together and with BHA we, we can uh, make progress. You mentioned COVID, and I, I was having a conversation last week on this podcast um, where, we, where we were wondering whether the industry is, as a whole continues to underestimate the the numerical damage to the horse population that, that COVID has done. What, what would you say to that? Uh, well, I would firstly say that we, were, we, we had to work incredibly hard to keep the covering season going, which I've mentioned before, and that was really through a very good relationship with, with DEFRA officials. But it is undoubtedly that there's, there's still issues on, on, on breeding, and, and it's a concern. I mean, the foal crop throughout the world is falling, and I think everyone needs to be aware that that, that is a, a serious issue for the for thoroughbred racing. Um, you know, in the states where you are, it, it really has dropped substantially, and 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 I think the 
I don't think the hangover from COVID is, is so apparent now in in, uh, in Great Britain, but I, yeah. I do still think it's still affecting some other parts of the world more. And, and you you begin your um, exitory uh, address by talking about the the prize money levels in, in the UK. Are, are you? Are you heartened by what the sport is trying to do next year uh, with respect to premierisation? Yes, I think it's a, it's a good step forward. Um, I don't think it's quite bold enough, but I think it's practically the art of the art of the possible, and I think that's where. So I, I'm very encouraged by 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 the progress that the BHA have managed to make with the race courses. There is still more to do, and in a perfect world, you you wouldn't start from here. But yes, I think it helps. I still think we need more prize money. There is, and it's difficult to assess the media rights, especially in the light of what's happening in, in, with the Gambling Commission. But I still don't feel that the that the uh, thoroughbred group members are getting a fair share of of the media rights. Uh, and how do you think they could affect a change? Uh, I think I think there are various uh, ideas. I mean, we we used to have a, a, something called a prize money agreement, uh, and I think something along those lines uh, to deal with the media rights is, is still possible and still should be be looked into seriously. Uh, Julian, I can't imagine you completely out of of racing administration. What's next? Well, I think watch this space. <laughs> oh, so there is there is a next. You never know. <laughs> well, well, I look, I look forward to. I'm, I'm, you're not going to give me the scoop now. No. Well, I, I, you can't, you can't say I didn't try. Um, thank you very much. I wish you all the best, and and perhaps more importantly than any of this, are you going to carry on breeding lots of nice horses? It's been another good season with Kinross, of course, and Remarque winning at a, a very high level for for your breeding operation. Yes, of course. I I, I absolutely love it, and I've been incredibly lucky uh, to to race some really good horses with just six mares at my stud but it's, it's enormous fun I absolutely love it and, and we'll go on doing it as long as I can Julian thanks so much for talking to me this morning best of luck you're welcome Julian Richmond Watson there who steps down as chair of the TBA today after a very important tenure and a man who's been an industry leader for some considerable time and it sounds as though he's going to continue to be but in what guise at the moment we are not quite sure. Jane Mangan is sure of a winner this afternoon. What is it, Jane? Yes, I'm off to Ascot for the Noel Merlis Mile 6 at 3.57pm, where a number of interesting horses line up, two of them who are reopposing from the St. Ledger. Middle Earth was seventh and Chesspiece was sixth, but there's been no rain of any consequence at Ascot recently, which won't really suit Chesspiece, which brings me down on Middle Earth, who's currently second favourite behind the Keeb. So Middle Earth to win the 3.57 at Ascot for John and Thady Gosden. All right, Jane, thanks so much. Thank you wherever you are in the world. Enjoy your racing weekend. And that was Friday, October the 6th. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. <laughs>